And if the Altera uh, result in the tax court is uh, any indication of uh, how the courts are going to behave, then we are in some deep, deep trouble. If you're a public company, you better make sure you've got enough reserves on your books to cover it because that makes investors really sad when you have to restate because you misunderstood your tax liabilities. It's actually very rare for any of these issues to arise at all because deaths or departures of active judges are highly unusual. Hi, and welcome to a special edition of Talking Tax on the highly watched Altera case. This is part two of our three-part mini-series on Altera Corporation versus Commissioner. I'm Carolina Vargas, legal editor at Bloomberg Tax. And I'm Sony Kassam, a reporter at Bloomberg Tax. Today, we'll be hearing from a law professor, a tax advisor, and an attorney in the Ninth Circuit. Let's hear what happens to a case when a judge dies, and what this case means for some of the world's largest tech companies, like Facebook, Google, and Apple. In our last episode, we talked about what's happened in the Altera case so far. Initially, Altera dragged the Internal Revenue Service to tax court in 2012 after the agency shifted the tax burden to Altera from its subsidiary in the Cayman Islands. Altera argued that the IRS didn't have the authority to do that when it created special rules in 2003. So now the case is in the Ninth Circuit, and the case was heard by three judges. Chief Circuit Judge Sidney Thomas, Judge Susan O'Malley, and Judge Stephen Reinhardt. That was in October 2017. Then in March 2018, Reinhardt died. Fast forward five months, it's July, and the Ninth Circuit has its decision made. The IRS is happy and businesses are pretty upset. But two weeks later in August, the Ninth Circuit suddenly picks Judge Susan Graber to replace Reinhardt. And a few days later, the July opinion gets pulled. And now the court is going to rehear Altera and the IRS on October 16th. This means Susan Graber gets to decide the final outcome. Graber could side with the government, like Thomas, or she could side with Altera, like O'Malley. The interesting thing about Altera is it involves sort of two unusual procedural steps. And the first one is the decision to publish an opinion that's joined by a judge who passed away before the opinion was filed. And then the second sort of unusual thing is to then replace the judge after the opinion had been filed and to have that new panel withdraw the opinion. That was Susan York. She's an attorney at the California Appellate Law Group in San Francisco. The case is still under submission, meaning that the panel still has quite a few things to do, even after an opinion is filed. Susan told us that even though Reinhard made his decision before his death, there still could be a little bit of work left for the panel. If and when that happens, a newly constituted panel can amend or withdraw the opinion, which is what happened here. I think some people might argue that it's not under submission, essentially that under submission ends when the opinion is filed. But the problem with that is that there is this period of time between the filing of the opinion and the mandate issuing when the court potentially can take a lot of different actions and when the parties are filing things potentially with the appellate court, such as the petition for rehearing. So it seems to me that if we're thinking about under submission as the appellate court sort of having control over the case and just considering what to do with it, that that period would extend until the mandate issues. This case has gotten a lot of people's attention, especially companies in the Silicon Valley. But it's not just limited to them. It affects any company in the United States that shares costs with related parties in other countries. Any corporation that develops intangibles relying on stock options or stock compensation to pay employees 
for cost of intangibles that are sold international uh, will be affected, uh, is affected um, in past tense as well. That model describes most of the uh, high-tech sector. Uh, uh, Google alone says it has uh, $3.5 billion uh, at stake. Uh, 45% of CEO compensation is stock or stock uh, uh, options, uh, many, many billions at, uh, at stake. That was Calvin Johnson. He's a law professor at the University of Texas in Austin. A central question in the case is whether companies should be required to share the cost of stock-based compensation with their foreign units. The most common type of stock-based compensation is the option many companies give their employees to purchase stock. It's a way of compensating the employees in a way that just isn't straight-up cash. And the IRS thinks companies should be sharing that cost with their foreign counterparts. And Professor Johnson thought so, too. Employees are getting real money. Uh, and uh, 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 stock compensation is the vehicle by which they're getting the real money. It ain't free. The Ninth Circuit's original opinion shared the same thought. Stock compensation? It ain't free. That opinion meant companies wouldn't be able to duck the cost of stock compensation anymore. And in turn, they'd be reporting more U.S. income and would basically have to pay more tax. Altera made wonderful um, uh, tools, computer tools, uh, but none of that profit constructed on American soil by American companies, uh, American employees of American companies would be subject to American tax. And, and that doesn't reflect income. That's, that's just pure loophole. But the tax court didn't think Altera needed to share those costs. I think the tax court and the Altera accounting is bonkers. There's just no justification for that. Once you cut through the procedural foo-for-ahs, then uh, stock is a cost. Of course, it has to be allocated. Bonkers or not, the tax court sided with Altera. And like Altera, companies in the Silicon Valley don't think they should share those costs with their offshore units. It's not what third parties would do. The argument that this isn't a valid regulation because you can't show me that third parties do this exact thing, I always thought was an extraordinarily weak argument uh, because there's a whole lot of things that you engage, that you do intercompany that doesn't have a specific external analog, but yet it exists. It's an intercompany transaction, and therefore under the transfer pricing rules, it must be valued and measured. That was Barbara Montagani. She's a tax advisor and founder of Montagani Tax in Virginia. Both she and Professor Johnson think that Altera's argument lacks merit. So what happens if the Ninth Circuit rules the same way as before? How does it affect companies that are relying on Altera? If the Ninth Circuit does, in fact, um, take the same position on rehearing or whatever procedural conundrum they're doing, Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that companies must include stock-based compensation. What it does is it says that if, in fact, they continue with the reversal, yes, then it it requires companies to include stock-based compensation in the value of their cost-sharing agreement. Um, What impact that might have on companies, there certainly have been companies that have all along had stock-based compensation as part of their cost-sharing agreement. Um, And there's certainly companies that have deliberately not. Um, I would think that at least at this period of time, any company that has a substantial amount of stock-based compensation with regard to employees that are relevant to a cost-sharing 
would either have to book some sort of uncertain tax position or in some way acknowledge in their financial statement that this is an outstanding potential liability to the extent that they have somewhat relied on Altera for the last two years to not include it. Ever since the tax court decision came out in 2015, some companies have decided to include stock-based compensation in their cost-sharing arrangements, and some haven't. For companies who have been, who, ha- who were including them all along, they would just continue to include it. For companies that have been excluding um, on the basis of Altera, they would need to seriously consider whether they need to start booking some reserves or something to address the fact that the Ninth Circuit might very well agree with the, or this panel may agree with the earlier panel and may reverse the tax court's opinion and reinstate the regulations as being authorized regulations. Altera could also have an impact on any tax cases that challenge the validity of a regulation. This is because it lays out a blueprint process that the tax court believes the Treasury should have followed in issuing the regulation. Basically, the, the, the taxpayer argued, um, one, this isn't valid because you didn't dot your I's, you didn't cross your T's, blah, blah. Even if you believe that it's valid for those reasons, it's not valid because what you're saying I need to do is not third-party behavior. In other words, I'm able to show you that third parties don't engage in this kind of behavior. That is a transfer pricing issue, but it is secondary to the issue that the court primarily relied, relied upon, which is it's not, it's not a good regulation. Although the Altera dispute is not a transfer pricing one, the case also touched on Chevron deference. Chevron deference is a doctrine used for the purposes of interpreting administrative actions and creates a lot of disputes among the legal community about whether or not it should be used or not. Uh, Chevron deference says that if the uh, administration uh, interpretation is uh, a possible interpretation, uh, then it's binding on the courts. The tax court not only gave no Chevron deference to uh, uh, the taxpayer, it totally ignored them and then got the issue itself completely wrong. Um, um, now, some people, including Justice Gorsuch, for instance, who are on record as wanting to repeal deference to the administrative state. I will say if Chevron deference to tax regulations is repealed, and if the tax regulations are therefore followed on a tax return only on a voluntary tax basis, we will depend upon steadfast accounting coming out of the courts to collect revenue. And if the Altera uh, a result in the tax court is uh, any indication of uh, how the courts are going to behave, then we are in some deep, deep trouble. Um, um, uh, great nations fall because they let their nation's tax system be shredded, and an altar in the tax court is a big tear in the uh, fabric of the civilization. Well, we'll see just how deep in trouble companies are as the case continues to develop. Thanks so much for listening to the special edition of Talking Tax. I'm Sony Kassam. And I'm Carolina Vargas, signing off until next time, where we'll be giving you the updates on the October 16 rehearing.